0: We're now going on to our, uh, the third part of our message series that we're doing at the moment. And this is the last part. We've been doing a message series called Success in Life Through Faith in Christ. And we talked about, just a little quick recap, we talked about the fact that a successful life is not necessarily what the world would call a successful life. And if you see somebody else living what you regard as a successful life, you trying to copy them or be them or whatever it may be is not going to lead you to a successful life. For a Christian, for a child of God, the most successful life we can live is when we are living in the center of God's will for our life. Because we saw that when we are in God's will, the Bible says, then you shall know the will of God, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The perfect life for you might not be the perfect life for somebody else. God has a will. God has a plan for your life that is perfect for you. And God's plan for you is not, you know, to to uh, cause you to be unhappy, to cause you to be unfulfilled. God, you know, God isn't like some kind of uh, um, sick person that says, I'm going to gift you to do one thing and then call you to do something else that you're not gifted to do. You're never going to use the gifts that I have given you, and you're going to have to do it. That's not what it is. God's will is good and pleasing. There is pleasure or fulfillment in life when you are living in the will of God for you, and that's the success that we're talking about. So in week one, we called it Discover. What did we call it? Discover and decide. Discover and decide. Discover who you are first, the unique person that God has made you to be, the way He has shaped you. He is the potter, and you are the clay. So You might not like this part, but you don't get to decide what gifts you've got, what personality you've got, what nationality you've got, what parents you had. All of that was decided for you. Uh, you, You are the clay. He is the potter. But your job is to decide what is to discover, rather, what kind of pot you've been made into. God may have made you into a teapot. He may have made you into a gravy boat. He may have made you into a vase to contain flowers. They're all different kinds of vessels that the potter makes. And when you discover who you are, how God has shaped you, then you know what you're for. And once you know what you're for, then you can decide what you want. Well, if this is what I'm for, if this is a path I have to go down in life, then I'm going to need this and this and this. You discover. You don't decide who you are. You discover who you are. Then you decide what it is you want out of life, what path you're supposed to be, be taking. Then last week we looked at, what were the two Ds last week? What were they? Dream and deploy. I'm glad somebody was listening because I didn't remember. Okay, dream and deploy. Once you know who you are, and once you know the path you're supposed to go down in life, start dreaming about it. It is part of faith. Begin to believe that the life that you're called to, that you're not yet living, begin to believe by faith that you are being led by God, that He will bring the right people to you, He will bring the right resources to you, and He will grow you into the person that lives that life. And so you dream about it, and then you deploy all the methods of growth. You want to grow spiritually as a disciple of Christ. Um, You want to, to grow emotionally. Do you know that most problems that happen in churches are not really spiritual problems. They're emotional problems. You know, somebody says something and you don't like it and they don't like you. And, all, and that's not even a spiritual problem. A lot of it is emotional immaturity. And so we grow emotionally. Whatever way we need to grow, we grow, we deploy all the methods that will enable us to grow into the, to become the people that God has called us to become. And today we're looking at delegate and discern. Shout that out with me. Delegate and discern. So let's start looking at delegation. So the first point is this delegate, once you know who you are, once you know the path you have to go down in life. Once you're dreaming about it and you're beginning to imagine and pray and believe uh, that 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 is going to come to pass in your life, and once you're growing into that person, now you realize that you're not the Lone Ranger, and you're not a superhero, okay? You don't have, you're not multi-talented. You've got a few talents, but the Bible doesn't say, you as an individual are the body of Christ. It says all of us together are the body of Christ. You might just be the pinky on the body of Christ. Now, the pinky comes in handy, especially in England when you're drinking a cup of tea. That's how you drink a cup of tea in Britain. And the pinky comes in handy for a few things, you know, like sticking in your ear and things like that. But there's a lot of things the pinky can't do. And if the pinky tries to do all those other things, that you're going to hurt the little pinky and break the little pinky. You need other members of the body, and so it's important to delegate. And once you know what shape you are, how the potter has uniquely shaped you, you're going to realize there's lots of of things that you're called to be a part of, but you're called to be a part of with other people who have been shaped a different way. And so what we're saying here is look for people who are shaped to do things you aren't and partner with them. Now, I'm calling this delegate because I want everything to start with the letter D, but it's not always delegate. It's only delegate if you're the boss or you're the team leader or you're in charge, then you delegate. But if you're not, if somebody else is a team leader, you're not really delegating. You might have things delegated to you. But what you're doing is, whether you're in charge or not, partner with people. Get into partnerships with people. You know the old, I know it's cheesy, but the old saying is, Teamwork makes the dream work. After you've been doing all the dreaming about what, it, what you can achieve in life, you need a team. It's teamwork that makes the, the dream work. It's all the members together that make things happen. Delegate to people. Now, in my family, I don't know how this came about, but in my family, somehow it has been decided that any job that is yucky is the man of the house's job. Now, that might mean tying stinky, slimy garbage bags together that everybody's just dumped all their garbage on, and I've now got to go in there and deal with it. Or it might be cleaning the, the cat's litter trays. I mean, like, if a toilet blocks anywhere, even if I had nothing to do with it, it's my job to go and fix it, Right? So, somehow or other, all of these jobs that I don't feel gifted to do, <laughs> uh, and, and the anointing is not upon me as I am doing them, okay? <laughs> Whatever is coming out my mouth is not praise and worship at the time, you know? And uh, we're, somehow or other, everybody thinks they're my job. Now, Our youngest daughter, Deborah, she was still at school. We took her out of school and we're homeschooling her now. So when we we started homeschooling her, she has two chinchillas. Don't buy chinchillas, I'll just tell you. Like, they take up more time than a baby. Um, They are very demanding. They take up all of her time. And, uh, and so she has got a lot to do with them. So what we decided when we were creating her homeschool curriculum was one of her topics would be animal husbandry. And she, looking after the animals would be one of her topics. And so I added onto that the cats and the dog get some cat treats at night when I'm going to bed. So I delegated that job to Deborah. And while she's doing it, She shovels the cat litter trays. Delegation. (laughs) Delegation. There's a whole load of stinky things in life you don't want to do, but somebody will do them if you can just find the right person, okay? Delegate. Look for people. Now you might think, well, that's a shame. How do, she doesn't enjoy that job? No, she doesn't. But she enjoys it better than going to school in a classroom. If this is now school, that's preferable, okay? And so you, there will always be somebody that will be happy to do a job. Look for people who are shaped to do the things you aren't, and partner with them. Now, if you're going to be in a team with people, you need three things. You need chemistry. You need to get on with them. You need competence. Like if you're going to give somebody a microphone to lead the worship, they need to be able to sing, okay? Competence and commitment. You might find someone that you love, your best buds with them, and they're really good at the the task, but they couldn't care less about it. So those are the three things to look for when you're partnering with people. Now I want to show you this in the Bible. This is a long passage of Scripture, um, but let's just go through it. I'm just going to read through it just say a thing or two, because the passage is self-explanatory. It's from the book of Exodus, chapter 18. And here's what it says. This is after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, and they're now on the other bank of the Red Sea. It says, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. Now, Moses had just recently, months earlier, Moses had suddenly become the spiritual leader of the entire nation of the Israelites. No experience of being a spiritual leader before. He's suddenly the spiritual leader of this people. His father-in-law, Jethro, was the priest of Midian. Midian was a large area. If you go to the back of your Bible and look at the maps, you will see that Midian was a large area. And Jethro was the priest of Midian. And 40 years earlier, when Moses had met Jethro's daughter and got married to her, Jethro was still the priest of Midian. So in other words, Jethro had decades of experience as a spiritual leader of a large group of people. Moses had very limited experience as a spiritual leader of a large group of people. Moses took advice from Jethro, who was more experienced than him. So let's read on. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt, so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and kissed him, and they asked about each other's welfare and then went to Moses tent. Let's read on. And then it says here, the next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what are you really accomplishing here? What are you really accomplishing here? Sometimes you can be very busy with activity but not really be accomplishing much, okay? What are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning to morning? Till evening. Now, here's Moses' answer. Moses had an answer. Now, I know this. Sometimes I talk to other pastors or visit their churches, and they say, why do you do such and such a thing? And they have an answer. But the answer is the answer that they have lived with for years. And then you think, you say to them, well, take a step back and look at it from a different angle. Is there not another answer to this problem? And so that's, this is what Jethro does. Let's look at it. Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. You know, and this is a common thing. It's like, well, I, I don't want you to, I don't want advice from you. I want it from Moses, right? Um, you know, very, very often, you know, people will come and say, can I talk to you about such and such a thing? Well, if you really want to, but I don't know much about that thing. I'm not very good at it. If I was you, I would talk to that person. They're good at it. They will give you counsel. They will give you advice. They will pray with you. Yeah, but I want you to talk to me because I like your preaching. So you're saying you think I'm good at preaching, therefore that must mean that I am good at absolutely everything. No, that person is much better at that than I am yeah, but I want you to, okay, you might regret it, but okay, (laughs) you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, imagine you love McDonald's, right, you love McDonald's, you eat at McDonald's all the time, and then one time you turn up at the drive-thru and you say, my car's broken down, I would like you to fix it, you say, sorry, well, I love the burgers that you do here, so I'm sure I love the way you fix cars as well. Well, we'll we'll try and fix the car if you want, but it might be worse off afterwards than it was at the beginning, right? So look, so I inform the people of God's decrees and give them instructions. This is not good, trying to do everything yourself, trying to do things you're not gifted to do, and not realizing that you need to be in partnership with other people. That's not good. His father-in-law exclaimed, you're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden to handle all by yourself. Now look at the next slide. Look at the advice that Jethro gives to Moses. He says, now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you in it all. You should continue to be the Lord's representative before the people before God rather, bring, bringing their disputes to Him. Teach them God's decrees and give them His instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. So he says, look, you've to go to God in prayer, and you've to pray for these people in all of their situations, and bring those, those people's and their problems to God and get some wisdom from God, and then you have to come out, after you've been the people's representative to God, you have to come out and be God's representative to the people, and publicly teach them what God's laws are, and show them uh, how to conduct their lives. They might not like that half the time, but do it anyway. Show them how to conduct their life. In other words, teach them publicly. That's your job, Moses. You've got these two things to do, and they're big things on on themselves. Now, look at this. But select from all the people some capable, which is just another word for competent that we looked at earlier on, capable or competent, honest men who fear God and hate bribes, appoint them as leaders over groups. Of 1,150 and 10. You know, here, you'd be good at looking after this many people, and you would be good at looking after this many people. And let's read on. He says they should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load. Delegation and partnership. You using your strengths and the areas that you're weak in, somebody else is strong strong in. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Now, so did it work? Let's read on. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves." And so we see here, do I have another one or is it Acts? If the, whatever the next one is, just go to it. It's Acts 6. And so the, not only in the Old Testament, but they did it in the New Testament. Look at this. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there was rumblings of discontent. It, you wouldn't believe it. It would amaze you what pastors hear when new people start coming to the church. I don't like all these new people that are coming to the church. They've all got tattoos and piercings, and they're sitting in my seat. I've I've sat there for five years, right? Rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 started an organization called Greek Widows Matter. No, that wasn't what they did. (laughs) Rather than just complain and protest, they fixed the issue. Okay. Anybody can grumble, but it it takes an action man or an action woman to take action and fix it. So look what happened. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. Let's read on. And they said... We apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And then someone posted on Instagram, these pastors think they're celebrities. They won't even run the food program. (laughs) Seriously. They are not saying, we're so superior, we're above. They're saying, we've been called and gifted to do one thing. We can't do everything okay? If we're going to focus, remember last week, this one thing I do, I bring all of my energies to bear upon this one thing. We're going to take all of our energies, they're saying, and focus them on the areas that we are gifted and called to. But we need other people to do other things, Spencer and Kat were up here today talking about how they lead our gateway youth and gateway kids. But they're saying, we need other people. So after the service, come and meet with us in the office and find out about how you can get involved. They can't do it all on their own. And he says, so brothers and sisters, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility, delegation. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word, very similar to the Moses thing, go and pray and seek God and then come out and teach the word. What was the result? What happened? Let's look on. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them, and what happened? So God's message continued to spread, the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Success happened, fruit was born, there were results that took place. Why? Because of delegation and partnership. Delegation and partnership. Dream work is what So teamwork is what makes the dream work. So that is what we need. And then the next thing is this. I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. I'm dreaming about it. I'm growing into it. I've got partners. How do we know what direction we should move, this one or that one? And when? Should we do it right now or hold back a little bit? And that is my final point, which is this discern. It's time to discern. Discern what? Discern the timing. Is this the right time to do something? Is this the right place to do it? To discern, another way to say it is this, some doors will open, and some doors will close. And it is important to be aware of what doors in your life, what opportunities God is opening to you, and what ones He is closing to you. I have seen so many people in life, in ministry, in career, in relationships, whatever it may be, continually trying to break down a door that's quite clearly closed. Like, if you've proposed to her four times and she said no, I would quit it by now, okay? Don't break down a closed door. Look, look for opportunities and open doors and walk through them. Don't try, to force open, don't try to force open closed doors. There is a right time and place where you will flourish, not just any time and place. I'm sure that uh, you're all familiar with the next couple of verses that I'm going to put up, but this one is from Revelation. It's one of my favorite passages in the book of Revelation, and it's from one of the seven letters at the beginning, and it says, these are the words of Him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Do you know that Christ can unlock anything? There could be a mountain standing in your way, but it can be removed. There can be a locked door before you, but God can open it. God can do the impossible. And he's saying here, I ha- like, I'm the key holder. I am the key holder. I have the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. If God has opened a door for you, then no one can shut it. The enemy can't stop it. Other people can't stop it. You can't even mess it up yourself. That door is open. Now, you might be scared to go through it, but it's open and it will remain open. But if you're trying to go down the wrong path in life and God has closed that door, there is nothing you or anybody else can do to open it. It is not the door that is being opened for you at this time in your life. He says, I know all about your hard work, and hard work is important. And part of the hard work we need to do is the hard work of personal growth and discipleship. And he says, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you only have a little strength left, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. I've just noticed something. Have you ever noticed that God sometimes waits till the very, very last second? You know, there you are standing at the Red Sea with the waves lapping here, and Pharaoh and his chariots are right behind you, and then at the last second, oh! I mean, it's always at the last second. And sometimes there might be some of you here today who have been working hard on something. You, ha- you believe that there's the right path for your life. You're praying about it. You've got faith for it. You're developing yourself. There's, there's uh, others around you that are affirming it, and yet you feel worn out. You feel run down. You feel like you've got very little strength left. Well, have some hope because it's right at the moment that you have very little strength left that all of a sudden a spotlight goes on and draws your attention to the open door that is waiting for you to walk right through. There's a time for everything and there's a place for everything. Here's another well-known passage of Scripture, book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, oh, I'm gonna be at the wrong place. Ecclesiastes says this. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain. Let's look on at the next one. A time to search, and a time to quit searching. A time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear, and a time to mend. A time to be quiet, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time of peace. What do people really get for all their work? I have seen the different tasks the different tasks that God has given to each of us, because we're all different. God makes everything beautiful in its own time. Um, He has planted eternity in the human heart, a sense of divine purpose which makes us yearn to understand the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. This is what I'm talking about over this series. There's something in our hearts that makes us know that we were created for a purpose, and we're trying to find our purpose in life. We're trying to find Uh, what what we've been shaped to do, what path we're supposed to go down, what God's will, unique will for our unique life is, where we fit in the whole scope of God's plan. We fit right there, and that's what we're trying to find. And there's a hunger in our heart to discover that. And so, we, we need to realize that even when we we know who we are and we've got the dream and other people are affirming it to us, it might not be the right time. We need to watch for the right time. Here is one of my favorite verses in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter nine. It says this, I have observed something else. And by the way, before I ever came across this verse, I observed it. I observed it in life, I was a young pastor, and I knew other pastors, and we'd meet together regularly and so on. And one of the things that I noticed that was kind of strange was there were some pastors that were leading larger churches, growing churches, and there there was another pastor over here who was stuck with this small church that wouldn't grow and was trying everything, and he couldn't reach people. And yet, to tell you the truth, if you asked my opinion, I would have said that this guy was way more gifted than this guy. When this guy got up to speak, there was an anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I found this guy pretty dry. And I thought, how come this guy seems more gifted, more anointed than this guy, but this guy's doing better than this guy? do you know it's not always the fastest runner who wins the race? It's not always the strongest person who wins the fight. It's not always the wisest person who makes the most money. Do you see that? It is important to, it's not always those who are educated who lead successful lives. It is important to know who you are and what your strengths and weaknesses are so that you can play to your strengths and delegate to cover your weaknesses. That's important. It's important to know who you are, what you were shaped to do, what path you're supposed to go down in life. But that alone does not guarantee success. There is also the question of timing and place. You could be doing everything you're doing in this place, and it's not producing any fruit. But if we moved you over to this place, all of a sudden, all heaven would open up over you. Blessing would come. On the other hand, maybe you could be doing something in this place and getting no fruit. But in three years' time, you do something in this place, and all of a sudden, you get fruit because there's timing. Maybe you're not ready yet. Maybe you've got three years of growth to go. Timing is important. Look, and it's not always the most educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, which sounds a bit strange, but then is explained by being in the right place, the place that needs your gifts, your contribution, at the right time, at the time that everyone there is ready to receive your gifts and your contribution. Timing is really important. Discern, is this the right place? Is this the right time? Is that door open? Is that door closed? Don't launch your ship before it is fully built. If you're halfway through building a ship, don't launch it until it's fully built. There's a matter of timing. Also, launch it into the sea. Don't launch it onto the highway. There's a matter of place as well. If you're building a ship, don't launch it until it's fully built. Don't try to do something until you're ready, and you have grown into the person that can do that, and everyone else is ready to receive it. Don't launch your ship before it's built. Moses tried that. Moses had a sense that he was called to be the deliverer of Israel, and 30 years early, there was a prophecy that Israel would be in Egypt for 400 years. At this point, actually it was 10 years early. At this point, they had been in Egypt for 390 years, 10 years early, and Moses Moses killed an Egyptian thinking that that was how he would free them. 10 years early. Do you know what that did? That added 30 years onto the time, because he then had to go to the wilderness for 40 years and come back and release them Not 400 years after they came into Egypt, but 430. Sometimes when we do things too soon, we mess up the plan. Abraham, you shall have a son. Your wife Sarah shall give birth to a son. That ain't never going to happen, but maybe with her it will. Woo-hoo! No, Abraham, it was too soon, and it was in the wrong woman's tent. It was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And all you did was cause your, and the Middle East still have problems today with warring factions because Abraham took the step too soon with the wrong person, in the wrong time, in the wrong place. So don't launch your ship before it's built. But see, once it's built, don't leave it on the harbor. Get out there and sail the seven seas and live your adventure. Don't leave your ship unlaunched once it's built. God prepared Esther, got her into the palace. She was now the queen. She was in the right place at the right time, and a crisis arises, and Mordecai says to her, God brought you into the kingdom for such a time as this. Launch your ship. This is the time. And so sometimes we look at people whose lives seem to be going better than us Well, at least that's the way it looks on Instagram anyway, because they only post the good pictures. Like, nobody posts, here's all the garbage that's going on in my life, you know. They post the good stuff, and you think their life looks great. I wish I was that lucky. Well, I've got a great quote from you, from Errol Nightingale. He said, what most people call luck is really when preparation, the growth season, meets with opportunity, the right place and right time, the open door season. What most people call luck is really when preparation meets with opportunity. I want to ask you all to stand now. We're going to put up a a closing verse that we're going to pray. Psalm 25 says, with faithfulness and love, God leads all who keep His covenant and obey His commands. Then it says, keep your promise, Lord, and forgive my sins, for they are many. Those who have reverence for the Lord will learn from Him the path they should follow. I want you to notice both of those things. You know, there is a it's important for us to come to God. First of all, to come and put our faith in Christ in the first place and receive forgiveness of sins and salvation. But no matter how long we've been a Christian, it's important for us first and foremost to come to God, to present our lives to God, to ask Him to deal with any ongoing issues in our life, to cleanse us and forgive us, to put first things first. But then... We want to know the path. We want to learn from Him the path that we should follow. We want guidance in life. So we're going to pray this verse together. We're going to have to change the words a little bit. We're going to say, with faithfulness and love, you lead all who keep your commands... Okay, your uh, your covenant and obey your commands. Keep your promise, Lord, and forgive my sins, for they they are many. And we're gonna say we who have reverence for the Lord will learn from him the path they should follow. So instead of he, we're gonna say you. And instead of those, we're gonna say we. So let's lift our hands to heaven. Let's look at this prayer. Let's take all of the six points that we're thinking we've been talking about and we're asking God to deal with our hearts and then lead us down his path. Are we ready church? So with faithfulness and love you lead all. One, two, three. With faithfulness and love you lead all who keep your covenant and obey your commands. Keep your promise, Lord, and forgive my sins, for they are many. We who have reverence for the Lord will learn from you the path that we should follow. In Jesus' name, let's give God a shout. Come on.